We have a lot to get to in this cheers. The most cheers. We are going to be thirsty by the end of this. So uh, people have been fantastically generous to us of late. Uh, Matthew C. Rolston, uh, thank you for sending us olive oil that looks suspiciously like a very swanky porter. Um, Dylan Craig, uh, you gave us a lovely postcard from Malawi about the joys of expat gaming. Thank you. It was a lovely read. I enjoy getting letters. Uh, the Kevin Ellis uh, made me think my dead grandfather had resurrected himself by sending me a Bob Evans gift card for one cent. One penny. One penny on it, which I didn't know they did. Uh, thank you for that. Um, Noah, a.k.a. Broa, for the eight cans of totally legal to ship wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, some anime. Olive oil. Olive oil. Uh, no, wine is totally legal as a ship. Oh, okay. And so we got eight cans of wine, <laughs> uh, which everyone knows we love on this show. And Wheat um, flavored wines, Goza flavored <laughs> wines. Yeah, mm-hmm. some some anime for Spencer to regret, which yeah. is not legal. No, no I'm really excited. <laughs> it's not legal. Of, it is actually not legal to ship anime in the know. laws of good taste. <laughs> yes, I'm going to be fair. As, uh, speaking as an anime fan, and then lastly, in this busy, busy cheers and our first episode we've recorded in a while because uh, a, a final che- cheers to producer Ross for returning from his. Wanderlust uh, yes. about the world. <laughs> a whole month. Well, it was, uh, well, no, it was like two, mm, two and a half weeks. It felt like a month. It All felt right. like a long time. Aww, yeah. You missed me. Yes. Yeah, we uh, missed recording, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, I went to Taiwan and the Philippines, and I even I found out Taiwan has a whiskey distillery, uh, Cavalon, and I brought back a bottle. Uh, which we have not tried yet. So. All right, you're sharing the cheers, producer Ross. Yeah, we gotta get yeah. to, I'm we, so oh, thir- I'm we, dying. We like. have to go. <laughs> I'm parched here. All right. So to for all those reasons and more, cheers. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer, and thank God we are back. And we have an excuse so long to drink again so long without the gone. judgment of society, because <laughs> uh, we've attached your wonderful, wonderful Patreon dollars to it, and therefore, to all who ask, it is justified via capitalist ideology. I can't thank you enough. Uh, thank God the the dark times are over and Ross has returned. Um, so, Spencer, I I, I just want to communicate how thrilled I am to be back. Uh, anything else to cover in this pre party? I. I literally cannot tell you what has happened in the last month uh, because I've been walking through a fog of my own sobriety uh, <laughs> and been and just been planning painstakingly. I was blackout sober, man. It was in, terrifying. In my heart, what we would talk about next. You're really trying down. to guilt trip me into never taking a trip again. Really right? trying. Yes. Okay. I did get sunburned, so maybe that'll help. Okay. Um, Does that make you feel better? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> it certainly doesn't make you feel better, I would imagine. Uh, there was one thing that happened in there. Since we had a little time, uh, we decided to throw up the Mixed Six survey. We were looking for feedback um, from as many people uh, who were willing to sit down, take a few minutes, and knock that thing out. Desperate for a taste of that old magic that Ross took with him on that Plane. We just wanted stole away some us. interaction, oh yes. And man, did we get a ton of responses! Yes. Like 150 plus, I think the last time I checked. It's really all that sustained us. It re- literally is. Reading through each one of them, word for letter for letter, even um, as we <laughs> weeped away the Ross time. Um, <laughs> We got so many cool suggestions, such great feedback. Thank you to everyone who participated for being honest, for being really clear, for being overly verbose, because a lot of that <laughs> stuff actually helps. Um, and we're going to make a couple changes um, over the next couple of episodes, months, whatever. Um, we're going to add in some new segments that people said they really liked. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to see less of a couple segments people were not crazy about. Yeah. 
Uh, and we're going to continue to try a new thing here and there to make sure this isn't getting stale for you as much as we don't want it to get stale for us. Uh, like it has been for the last month. Thanks again, producer Ross. Yeah. Uh, so we just really want to say two and a half weeks. Yeah. We just really want to say thanks to all of you for participating in that. And with back with that, it is back to business as usual. We're here to talk rating systems. Um, if you've listened to the mix six before, you know that we rate and review uh, six beers, one beer per segment, where we talk about six random things, and we review those beers on five point scales, rotating with every episode. And today, uh, in tribute to my dad, who suggested via text a couple of weeks ago, you guys should do a baseball rating scale. Okay, well, let's right. do a baseball rating. America's scale. pastime, maybe America's pastime, Ross. Yeah, the Ch- place where you live changes. <laughs> yes, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. changes mm-hmm. recently made to baseball, a sport that we reviewed critically some months ago in Sports Planner, and not too shortly thereafter, and basically altered because I have no doubt they made those changes. I was going to say short, shortly thereafter. Shortly after listening, Major League Baseball podcast. made significant changes. Yeah. You're welcome, America. Um, anyways, luckily a baseball rating system kind of writes itself. Um, and so if you disagree with me on this one, it's not me, it's history. Okay. Uh, a one, a terrible beer, a beer that you do not enjoy and you wish would go away is obviously a strikeout. Mm -hmm. Complete and utter whiff. Didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Try again. A two, you made some contact. It is a beer that you have tasted, and you don't really want to taste it again, but sometimes this stuff happens. It's a foul ball, okay? Look, you you did what you were supposed to do. You hit the thing. You just hit, didn't hit it in the it's right It's a direction. hit semantically. That's right. You did hit a thing. The, correct. If not You can't strike out on foul balls. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. You, you can foul for days. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a three. Now we're getting into like run-of-the-mill standards. This is what you're looking for uh, as a hitter in baseball or as a drinker of beer. It's mm-hmm. a single. Yeah, you're does what it needs to do. Advances the runner, moves the ball. Mm-hmm. You're you're making progress. Um, a four now, and now we're getting into the stuff you really want. This is game-changing type things. We're talking about a triple. You're going to get three bases. You're probably putting somebody. You in. stood up off the bleachers. There we go. Bleachers are there, right? Sure. All right. All right. Yeah. Baseball stadiums. Ah, yeah, we need sports. Got it. I will accept my position as baseball czar. Yes. They and that, have those? that has been Sports Planner by Caleb. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and finally, a five. This is, this is the thing we're all hoping for. It changes your life for the better, and it changes the way you think about beer. It's steroids. So, yeah, that's right. Weedies deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hate both of you right now. <laughs> It's a home run. Mine's wholesome, at least. That's true. Yeah. Idiots. Um, so, strikeout, foul ball, single, triple, home run, and now let's get to the stuff you've all and we've all been anxiously waiting for. Let's talk about things and drink beer. We'll be right back. Caleb, in the first beer that you've been legally allowed to drink for the last that, month because of not, Ross's no, absence, that's yes. not how what have you chosen to all. consume? Uh, I have used my special drinking dispensation card granted mm-hmm. by the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very kind. Mm-hmm. Only in the presence of producer Ross. To <laughs> drink uh, something I've been saving for a while, um, sent to me from our dear friend Maddie down under. Uh, it is the Founders Lizard of Cause which is an imperial stout brewed with blueberries, chocolate, 
and vanilla aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, I've been sitting on this for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, have it for a special episode, and we're finally back, and this is it. Amen. Also, I was alarmed that she teleported it to me, thereby making it completely legal. <laughs> completely and utterly legal. Via the U.S. Postal Service. Right. And, and as a so, thank you, Maddie, um, while Caleb drinks this, I want you to know that I have been really warming up my Australian accent so that when we see you for Gen Con... I can I can communicate with you in your tongue. It's okay. quite good. Yep. You're uh, I'm referring to Spencer's Australian accent. Luckily, this is also a five. Get it? This is a That's home a run of a beer. This is delicious. First one out of the gate. It, I'm so maybe it's just because I'm so thrilled producer Ross is back, but this it is, is real good. This is the it literal is, equivalent. It is very sweet. It is very it's nice. It's, of some minor yeah. league. I'm batter. a fat kid and I like sweet stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's I almost mean, like a mixed drink rather than a beer. Yeah, blueberries is like a killer flavor for me in almost everything. And then the chocolate and vanilla. Chocolate and blueberries would, is a great combo. I would never expect <laughs> in there, but like it's complex huh. and I like it, and it's like a interesting brownie. It is interesting. Yeah, that's um, a good way of putting it. It is. It's like a brownie that you dunked in fruit juice. Like, oh, hey, did you <laughs> want to put this brownie in a cup of grape juice? Bam. That's what you got. Or like a like a chocolate crepe. Yeah. Like, dip, a, like a liquid crepe. Dipped in grape juice. A yeah, I, I can't understand. The, the citrus, the fruity, sweetie citrusness, citrusnessity. A, a crepe quid? Crepe quid. That's it. <laughs> well, we're going to shut that down. Um, and, and we're into our first segment. If you listen to what's the before. percentage on this, by the way, damn it, Ross, uh, it's an Imperial. So 10. Okay. So better than I thought it would be. Whew. That's a, that's a lot of alcohol in that grape juice. Mm-hmm. Um, we're into dissecting our fun. It's where we talk about board games, board game things. We like board game things. We don't like board game mechanics, uh, uh, things that we enjoy playing, things that we don't enjoy playing. I don't know. Um, all things board games. And today, uh, we're expanding that scope a little bit and, and we're going to talk about not board games, but rather Board game geek. Caleb? Yeah, we're going to not, like, slaughter this sacred cow by any means. No. Uh, we owe it entirely. But we might, like, critique its horns. Yeah. Or, like, respond to its haunches. Yes. With consent, of course. Right. Um, because board game geek is something that I have reached in passing, mm-hmm. but you were sort of my gateway drug into board games. You're welcome. And so I did not sort of find that space online until right. I'd, I'd gone all all in and like a two or three board game right, a week right. habit. Um, and it is the crux, the epicenter, the Rosetta Stone, the the lodestone of the board game renaissance. It really is. Is this website that is used for everything from actual play videos to podcasts where you actually play board games and people just describe what they're moving around to rating and reviewing 20 board years games. of forums, rating and review. They have their own currency system. Uh, it is this enormous aggregator for the hobby, and it is one of the most visually repulsing websites I've ever seen. My punk band in high school had a better website mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. in terms Correct. of appearance. Yes, your MySpace page. The, yes, my MySpace page had a better web design mm-hmm. than Board Game Geek. It is some like Alta Vista GeoCities looking stuff, and I've actually. Uh, thanks to some people in the group, me collected some like pretty interesting arguments as to why that is the case. But like, uh, I do kind of want to approach Board Game Geek because like it is useful, but it is also intimidating. Oh yeah, it is uh, an institution that is visually falling apart. Mm-hmm. It is simultaneously the home of where our most diehard participants in the hobby have lived, mm-hmm. and it's also the first place where we send people who are 
getting into it in the new fr- so i just kind of want to interrogate this institution of this website because yeah. like it is a it, you know america's a land of contradictions mm-hmm. as i would say in mm-hmm. my f- final essay uh and board game board game geek is much like that yeah. it's it's the most that thing when i think of board game geek i think of the scene in blade runner 2049 where uh um uh, our protagonist lands in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and uh, there are these like odd statues and remnants of a bygone era covered in sand. But it is also the place where like the crux of the story will come to meet the the the, the major players, and that's what Board Game Geek is. It's, yeah, we, we we've really promised treasure. Yeah, in the ruins. That's right of the f- Web 1.0 internet. That's right. Like, would you like to? go through the digital mausoleum mm-hmm. that is this website. Because there will be good things in it. Yep. But, man, it's going to be a Dell. Shantytown. I think that's... I mean, cause shantytowns <laughs> are alive, and they're sort of makeshift and put together as without its overall plan or vision. But yeah, I, but, I, yeah, yeah. But, but I think there's something kind of unique to the... Yeah, Urban but sprawl. When it mm-hmm. starts, I think that it might be like a best-in-class or at least at least in the class of like decent website trying to do what it's trying to do. I think, I think the problem is that time has not worn well on, on that kind of setup. Right. Mm. So here's my experience with board game geek. Um, I got into it looking for ratings and reviews of games years ago when I kind of started to, you know, go down the inverted pyramid of, uh, I guess maybe just the pyramid, uh, the iceberg of board games. And then I started to interact with it, not only as a consumer, but more recently as a creator, so... Yeah, because it's absolutely essential if you want to yeah, make a board game. Totally. And we've discovered that in every turn. Everything yeah. you read, everything you look up is like, this is the most important platform you could possibly have. Right, for, for Party Foul <clears throat> and for the Mix 6. So getting on, um, you know, getting a Mix 6 account on Board Game Geek mm-hmm. um, and you know, setting up a profile and then adding games under my personal account um, and then trying to generate some forum discussion. Although, to be totally honest, because I don't love the interactivity of it all, I am not nearly as active as I need to be. And that is, um, that's totally on me because there were a couple people, in particular Darren Pretty and James Burns, who were giving us a ton of a Here's the thing, but is it totally on you? It's it's definitely sure a laudable for James Byrne. It's yeah. definitely great for Darren Pretty. And we yeah. appreciate all the people that have supported us on board and the geek gold that we received. and the geek gold that we received, and we're going to use it. But because I have to use Facebook to promote the podcast, it does not mean Facebook is above criticism. Sure, and because Board Game Geek is essential for what we're talking about, yeah. it does not mean that it doesn't visually repel my eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> it, so aesthetically and structurally, here's some kind of weird things, right? So structurally. <laughs> Um, I've been I've been working on adding party foul to Board Game Geek. Um, all of the research, all of the blogs says that like you need to you know promote the game, advertise on Board Game Geek during your Kickstarter. The return on investment is insane. All that stuff. So it's minimum point of entry. I've been working through it. I have had to read no less than fifteen either Board Game Geek blogs or blogs about Board Game Geek to figure out how to post a game as a creator on Board Game Geek. And we're not talking just like, where do I click? It's like, no, literally, where, what thing do I look for first? What, what's the first thing I find to, to begin the rabbit hole process of adding things? Now, go to the dark web. Right, exactly. Write like, a script. I, un- I understand, <laughs> right, in a couple of ways why structurally this is true. One, you don't just want everybody putting everything they've ever thought up, like an idea, on Board Game Geek, and suddenly it cannot handle or it is not meaningful the amount of data that they've Being obtuse recorded. is its own form of moderation. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right, yeah. You've got to be serious about this thing if you, <laughs> yeah. If you really want to play the game, right? Um, also, structurally, I get that you want to weed out uh, and really make sure that people have a product to sell. Um, to- totally makes sense to me. Then there's the aesthetic bit, <laughs> where it feels like for a moment, 
as I'm chiseling the name of Party Foul into the board game geek wall. <laughs> uh, I have I have forgotten that a million billions of other websites exist, and in fact, for the low price of like fourteen ninety nine, I could probably buy my own and design my own better looking website in the thirty minutes it took me to figure out how to even get Party Foul entered as an item on the board game. To be website. clear, he's not saying that glibly. He literally designs websites literally, for a living. Literally, <laughs> well, I don't, but I work at a company that does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I see you know people much smarter than myself do it every day. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's it's stunning. It's stunning that it is that aesthetically um, brutal. <laughs> Maybe it is the brutalism of the internet. Maybe that's what <laughs> yeah. Board Game Geek really yeah. is, right? Uh, that it's structurally that difficult, and that I assume, and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, but a reasonably broad brush, that of all of the thousands, if not millions, of people that use that website, I would imagine that there's more of a circle, less of a Venn diagram with that community and, I don't know, computer programmers or people who like to work with code. Oh, yeah. That's also very true. And yeah. that nothing, and that there, <laughs> there has not been at some point um, kind of like a, an awakening of sorts uh, in its aesthetic value. I, it's so, shocking to me. So uh, the best argument I've read, and uh, it was on uh, the group me, the name will lose me at the moment, but uh, feel free to yell at me at the, in the comments. I think it was Adam L. If you're, if uh, Adam L. commented on how good of an argument it was. I don't yeah, think yeah. this, but um, okay. uh, the simplicity of the site and it's sort of like anachronistic design uh, means that it loads very quickly. Uh, and it also, uh, the also other thing was that the site migration would be such a pain, which I imagine it desperately would be, oh, it'd be ridiculous. Uh, for all the forums, uh, that it's just not worth it to continue. So the, the addition that you have, uh, it load faster and therefore you have better user penetration because they do not leave quickly to go somewhere else and stay on it longer. And the site migration thing is the very reason, uh, that it is popular and still such an institution. That said, and I know nothing about web design. I feel like you could still kick it down the road five, yeah. ten years and have it load right. real fucking fast. Because then we'd be like 2008. Just like just, I was going to say, just get it up to 1990. You know what I mean? Like, I, I go here and I feel like, um, you know. Yeah, it looks like a DARPA project. No one in the house can use the phone because Juno is using our 56K. And, like, I'm waiting for my Wheel of Fortune DOS, you know, to, like, shut off. Um, it's crazy, and it's crazy to me, having said all of that, right? All, let's assume for a second everything that we've said is true, <laughs> obviously. Um, <laughs> it still continues to be, and you're totally, like, the epicenter of gaming. Yeah. You, you cannot... You cannot get around it, and maybe that is maybe it I can't really is criticize a its thing. utility, right? And maybe that's at the end of the day, I, that's what I, we're talking about. I can about. criticize its accessibility, though. yeah. And like, I do worry, like, well, I worry because I'm a person on Kickstarter, and so every time you launch, you will be the thing that breaks the bubble where everyone stops and no one, no one ever buys ever a Kickstarter again. Mm-hmm. You're the one who ruined it, and that's the thought that goes through your mind. But like. It is true, and I've heard this before, that the, the board game market is becoming saturated uh, in terms of, like, it is growing to a enormous degree and more than I think any of us would even imagine at a, at f- even five years ago. <clears throat> but I think uh, in terms of capitalism, because you grow or you die, in order to continue that growth of the board game and tabletop growing industry, at some point, we're going to need to lower the barrier of yeah, entry. Totally. And I don't think Board Game Geek is a very low bar to jump. No, not for, at all. For like a modern human being who could go play video games instead. Like, they make the Steam page look like easily accessible like the new release on steam they make that look like well organized Mm -hmm. which is 
not a good look. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's stunning. And, yeah. yet, and yet here I am. I mean, I'm going to go home later and I'm going to continue to add things. You know what I mean? And so and, it, w- w- so must we all? Right, right. It is, it is, it is an immovable object. And I get that. And I think the whole thing is just fascinating to me. So part of the reason we bring this up, I'd be interested to hear from other people outside of our bubble. Very much <laughs> so. Cause the, the, the sort of like it loads fast argument was one I'd never considered before. Yeah. I, when I proposed this, I was just sort of baffled by the whole thing. I just yeah. had no, I had no explanation. No. Like, and I, still don't um but i'm sure other people do <laughs> yeah. um you know darren and james in particular i think have been intimately involved with the site for a long time probably have some backstory on why it is the way it is or have have certainly been good sherpas for me and some of the process and i will continue to reach out for them reach out to them thank you thank you thank you in advance for the help um yeah but it's fascinating to me so yeah. anyways those this are our segment thoughts. brought to you by wix.com yeah our new sponsor mm-hmm. no i'm just kidding we're DraftKings all the way DraftKings. duh um <laughs> no it's all about mattresses now that's what podcasters <laughs> oh, yeah. talk yeah yeah uh, those are our thoughts on Board Game Geek, uh, and we're really interested in your thoughts on Board Game Geek, and any explanation is welcome at this point. On that note, we're going to grab more beer, we're going to grab more stuff to talk about. BRB. Hey, Spencer. I'm so excited to ask you what you're drinking. Yeah, well, because we get to do that again, because Ross is back. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Um, so this is from Bent River Brewing Company. Uh, this is the Day Trotter Pale Horse Pale Ale um, out of Rock Island, Illinois. And I think this is one of the many purchases you made along the way in St. From, Louis. Uh, yeah, Lucas Liquors. Mm-hmm. All right, he's taking a sip. There's a horse on the on the label, which I like. I think that's a good... Well, Pale Horse. A pale Horse. Right. Yeah. A um, apocalyptic. Um, Johnny so Cash. the front is probably a four. The back is probably a three. So I'll net it out as a single, um, yeah. really, really good on the front end. And then gets that kind of like, um, copper penny taste that some pale ales have uh, oh, yeah. a, a little bit too much like blood on the back end. Yeah. Uh, so that's a solid three for so me. So a pale ale then. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. 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 Not, not offensive per se. Um, Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, Nerdsplainer, which is Hello. your number one vote getter this week. Uh, we're going to talk about something that uh, I've been concerned about for a while, but I don't think we've ever brought up before. Um, and uh, Nerdsplainer is sort of always more of a cultural critique, whereas Sportsplainer is more of an informative deep dive into the data, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I have little to no evidence to back up my claims, like a good theorist. Uh, so uh, I am going to, in Nerdsplainer, I think we should talk about how nerds need to take responsibility for the gamification of everything. And how that is a serious problem. Take responsibility for it. That's a... I think we do. Wow. Okay. I, th- and we, I think if, if anyone's going to rein it in, it's us. Okay. All right. All right. No, I'll, hey, I'm, I'm ready for you to fall on this sword. So, look, by gamification, I mean uh, Skinner boxes, intermittent reward structures, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I think that we are reaching a point where that is reaching its natural limit. I think we're actually past that point. And we're finding a point where gamification is becoming uh, offensive to our sensibilities. And, and that is because as a structure to like understand the world, it has never been a unifying theory of human action. Uh, you know, heising a you know, lift left aside for homo ludens. Like, um, I don't think it can explain absolutely everything. And here's the thing. I don't think it was ever intended to because I don't think gamification was ever supposed to reach the levels it did because, but nerd culture has won. Like everyone is a nerd now. 
uh, being a nerd is, you know, culturally accepted. Mm -hmm. It is uh, within the halls of power. It is expanded to the point. And gamification is super useful. So, like, gamification in education is great. Super great. Like, it works super well. And the research on gamification in organizations for Mm -hmm. training purposes, organizational and personal development um, is stunning. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's not a fad. It's not a trend anymore. I mean, this is a thing that people are doing. And with your much average return. gamer is like thirty-five or something. Like it's the way in which we game and the <clears throat> engage with the world. So as a metaphor with engaging with different things, it works very well. Sure. But I will be the first to admit that all metaphors have their limits. Sure. And I think we and are limiting. And yeah, and I think we have hit that and moved past it, and we are still hurtling forwards. And as the nerds who are in the driver's seat, not persecuted any longer, we need to tamp on the brakes because we cannot use the video games to explain freaking everything. So um, examples like of that kind of stuff. So like loot boxes. Let's do video games, things that are already a game, right? Loot boxes are basically stolen from the CCG space. It is an intermittent reward set. You're getting a booster pack. Most of it will probably be shit, but maybe you'll get something rare. And that is a level of press the button and hope the food pellet comes out that CCGs are built around. Like, that is the entire psychological structure of it. But you take those loot boxes, you keep doing it, you do it digital only, you stop doing physical rewards, and you spread it out wide enough until you get something like Star Wars, which is the sports of nerddom. It really like, no, I'm it's the most this. basic form of nerddom. It's Battlefront. Yeah. yeah, you get and and then it becomes like actionable legislation in Congress against that kind of stuff. You you have it reaches a critical mass. And now that's the big controversy in all of video gaming, right? <clears throat> so it goes deeper than that. You have like gamification of fitness, which goes good, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got Pokemon Go, you got Zombies Run, all that kind of stuff. But then uh, you got the West Virginia teacher strike, right? And that just broke today as we're recording this. Uh, they got their 5% rate, solidarity, go West Virginia. But one of the things that they were protesting about that they left out of all the news coverage of it was this thing called Health 365. Have you heard of Health 365? No, but it sounds like a great idea. No. Oh. Uh, it, oh, it is a program uh, that, much like many programs and many offices will have, it's an incentive program for fitness where like, you compete for a prize normally and sure. you have your like, Fitbits, do you, that kind of stuff. And Health 365, in order to get a uh, decreased discount on how much is co- of your health care, how much health care is coming out of your check, you have to get points via a Garmin provided by your employer, which is the state, that you have to wear or else they charge you more for your health care. Furthermore, it was based on a growth model. So if you scored 1,000 points the first year, you literally had to score 3,000 points the second year in order to maintain the same discount. By the fifth year, you had to have 5,000 points per year in your Health 365 thing. For teachers that are working 12 to 16-hour days, double jobs, and like by year two, your math teacher better be fucking into CrossFit, bitch, or she ain't going to be able to afford to eat that week. Like, uh, it is... (laughs) And they... That was one of the things they're protesting. So, like, gamifying your health, like, (laughs) is... Madness, yeah. like that's insane. And then you have like the full blown dystopian stuff, like Alibaba's Sesame Credit, which is like worship the Chinese Communist Party for social activist points on your social media accounts, and you have all this reputation economy stuff. And like at that point, I think as nerds, we have to say like, you know, Skinner boxes are super effective, but we know that because we've seen gambling, and maybe we should. 
Yeah, because we play regulate, World of Warcraft. We yeah. should regulate that like we did gamble. <laughs> but like, so you think, uh, I, I don't disagree with your assessment of any of these things, but where, where I'm looking to unsituate your argument a little bit, maybe, is the that this is on the backs of nerds in, in some way. That, that w- what this isn't really is just a crass reading of psychology put into organizational action, but rather it is a cultural thing based on the triumph of nerds. Well, I think it is because it's the triumph of the nerd psychology. So, for instance, like, I know lots of people that are fully functioning for whom the destiny system of RNG fake gun rewards Mm -hmm. that you and I sucked at the T-Dove for many a year. Yeah, many. And we're thrilled to do so. I don't think that works on everybody. And I think it should work less on nerds. Because, like, they're in the driver's seat culturally, economically. They're many of the people implementing these programs, mm-hmm. if not the people who are meant to be, these programs are meant to be working on. And I think we got to get better at recognizing when we're in the Skinner box and when the gamification thing is there. Because I don't think it's being good used for just, like, good purposes anymore. Yeah, no, I do. I do definitely think um, where I am with you is that this is, um, as part of our critical thinking vocabulary, and we've talked about, you know, the role of critical thinking in education a lot on this podcast, um, that there is a uh, an increasing urgent need, I think, to introduce into critical thinking vocabularies um, a way to identify Skinner boxes <laughs> yeah. and a way to critically interrogate. You know, if a Skinner box is is a good thing or a bad thing, and the kind of you know undue effects it may be having on us in any given setting. And also, I don't think it's a terribly good model. Like you, and then you get into like the real wonky, crazy shit where people are trying to use game theory and politics. Sure, and like that's just the stupidest academic idea ever to happen since Jordan Peterson talked. And it is uh, just mind-boggling that the kind of stuff that people... Because here's the thing about game theory. It works if everyone's a rational actor. And we live in a world where our president paid Russian women to piss on him or saying stuff about Obama. We left rational actor behind... A long, long time ago. Yeah, it's definitely dead in the water. And it's like, yeah, and like, and but you do these game, you see these analyses online of these game theories of like, well, it's in his rational best interest and it's the most optimal play state to do this political thing. And I'm like, you're fucking insane. Like, you're you're basically using game theory to sidestep the fact that behavioral economics exist or like anything that acknowledges the fact that people are goddamn crazy and like in our party foul play test, they will stay in the bathroom and lose the game just because sure. they think it's funny to be in the bathroom. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. And like that's all well and fine when it's a game about drunk ducks, but like we're we're playing a game about drunk ducks and not, you know, deciding like geopolitical thermonuclear war sure. like and that sure. kind of stuff. So are you um are you most concerned about the um, model as process, or are you most concerned about the model as end? So, in other words, is it more concerning to you that we've kind of taken this Skinner box model and just said, how else can we put that on things to get people to do whatever we want them to do? Or are you more con- more concerned that the decision making around how we best motivate people has just ended with Skinner box? I, I think it, I think both okay. in that yeah. regard, yeah. but um, I also believe that you know, yeah, it's being over applied or it's being applied without any sure. sense of process, yeah, like definitely. Our, our responsibility, yeah, <clears throat> and then it's also being applied without any uh, greater knowledge that the model is not 
the data like you know the, yeah. the the thing you're using to interpret it is not the re- result on the ground sure yeah no i'm definitely with you on that the the approach is in and, in and of itself a really limited approach and and i think it's 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 the uh kind of perfect example of the model gets what the model allows itself to get you know yeah. what i mean yeah like if you get people to push buttons enough times things will happen um but but beyond that what are we really doing here right like i yeah. i interact with this um i work with people in startups a lot uh or at least more frequently now and there is is a real intense focus on this kind of system, uh, the Skinner box system with intermittent reward structures around growth, partially because of the funding requirements that people are looking for to get startups off the ground, partially because I think for a lot of these people who grew up in Skinner box structures mm-hmm. because of World of Warcraft or insert game, yeah. um, it's how they make sense of making progress. Mm-hmm. And uh, you level up. Yeah, exactly. And, and routinely what I see is people get so obsessed with taking actions uh, to that, that are associated with leveling up and not thinking in terms of outcomes. Um, what am I really trying to achieve here? And is there a way? And I think that's also why... Um, certainly in like the, in, in the tech culture, maybe we're really interested in disruption where that, that, that word is like really, really important to people yeah. because it's an easy way of saying, I'm not doing, you know, what, what, what the industry's done. Yeah. And, and I actually think there's some value to that given the over-reliance on some paradigms and metaphors, like the one you've identified. Yeah. Um, granted that word is in and of itself vomiting and we could probably spend a whole other, you know, amount of time talking about disruption and the completely Juicero. semantically dead. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm with you on this. I don't know that I totally agree on on where we ought lay the blame and who might pull this well, part. I, I, I'm not talking about the blame. Sure. I'm talking about the, the remedy. And I think the remedy does lie with the nerds. Because here's the thing. Yeah. We can play Destiny and acknowledge we are sucking at the teeth of Cinderbox. Sure. And also acknowledge that it's just some dumb game that we played the base price for. We're not buying like no microtransactions. No microtransactions anything like that. Yeah. And we can acknowledge that like when we are done with being addicted to it, we can just say, well... I'm not going to seek that dopamine hit anymore. Yeah. I think it lies in the power of the nerds because I think with the capitalism incentives, capitalism don't give a fuck. It's going to gamify everything. I, in fact, I think we're reaching a point where um, you think of something that would be horrible and dystopian to be gamified, and that is what will be gamified next. Yeah, definitely on that. Um, uh-huh. So I don't think that's going to change on the upper end, but I think it will change if on the low end you recognize it's like, oh, this is a Skinner box for my politics this right. is a skinner box for yeah for uh you know who you know my my job sure. or my health or something and if you can recognize that and de-incentivize that from the ground up and i think we can do that because nerds are very intimate with our skinner boxes mm-hmm. if nothing else uh that would be sort of the key to it but yeah I, having I, a vocabulary to call it out yeah this yeah. is sort of my nerds planer call to action i think everyone needs to be more aware of their intermediate reward structures uh because the 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 uh the man has figured it out like they they figured out how to use that tool against you and so you got to realize that it's not always coming from a place of like loving zelda and star wars and star trek and it might be coming from like a cold capitalist nightmare dystopia there he is uh so yeah there's the caleb stokes we've there we go <laughs> i'm back all Thank right. God. Well, let's get this man another oh, beer. Oh, man, it's been so long since a Marxist rant. And let's get to talking about movies. We'll see you in a second. Caleb, it's not just that we get to drink beer again, but you, in fact, get to drink a specific beer right now. And that beer is... I'm going to drink uh, from Stillwater Artisanal. Bingo. Shoegaze, which is a distorted farmhouse pale ale. Mm-hmm. And we had, hey, 
wipe the expectations from your mind. Okay, we we are professionals. We we got to take it one beer at a time. No, man. I want to say something before you drink that. So remember a couple it might be good. Remember, Mathematically, yeah, possible. a couple of episodes ago when I started doing rating systems that were based on my personal experience. Yeah, so that when people got shitty with me, I could Kumpacha go happen to me. <laughs> I think that Stillwater put distorted in the title of this beer. <laughs> Because when people taste it and they're like, oh, my God, this beer is shitty, Stillwater can go, well, yeah, it's distorted. I mean, I think they just... It does what it says. It's unfair. That's right. That's what does what it says on they the They non-uniqued yeah. the argument. Right. So, anyways. Um, well, total, thanks. Totally open mind. I didn't hear any of that. Yeah. All right. Jump in there. I'm sure it's going right, to be great. taking a sip. It's in a can, by the way, not a bottle. Well, at that point, why waste the glass? <laughs> wow. Don't you? Yeah. He looks... He, he He's like... He just nodded his head. Yeah. He's nodding. He's thinking. Oh, thank God. It's finally happened. What? It's a single. They hit the it, ball. <laughs> uh, I'm, ha- not a foul. I'm happy like a real desperate little league coach with the kid who never gets off the bench. Uh, it is just a farmhouse ale. And it is. It's just a far- to to be clear. I had a whole bit where I was gonna like do a bunch of like shit about like umami and the mouthfeel, and it's haunted by notes of, and like pretend it was good so I could get Spencer to drink it and then laugh at him when it's terrible. But it's not. It's just the three. It's just it's just a farmhouse ale. Actually, I'm not. That's kind of a good beer. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a three. Called shoegaze. You know that's a genre of music. I do, and it's a three, and I've never been happier. I got that. That's a four for you. If that's a five uh, I don't for you, say this. That's a that's probably a four for me. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's a triple. That's fine. We're professionals. Hey, yeah, that's a three. We, it doesn't matter. It's not a one. <laughs> it's not a one. Stillwater did it. You know what I? Think? I know the episode title. Stillwater, Stillwater did, did it. it. Yep. Absolutely. Woohoo! Yep. Yes. Uh, Everyone celebrated home. You know why I think that's uh, their best one they've ever done so far? What? Because the can is designed vaporwave aesthetic. Yes. I know that's why you did (laughs) Well, I think it's the best one they've done so far because I am not retching right now. So... It is, but I'm going to drink it and I'm going to enjoy it. They, yeah. they, because no, it's the the they showed the the brewmaster the design for the can first, and they're like, and that inspired him. Uh, he was inspired by vaporwave. This is my head cannon, by the way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we we all know. Honestly, if we're going, I'm a Marxist, you're a monster. We get it. I'm just awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and inundated with anime. And he, Spencer and, just loves anime yeah. and hates more. So he's uh, <laughs> garbage. Un American. <laughs> Um, hey, we're back with Armchair Director. We're going to talk about movies. Number two vote getter. Number two vote getter. And today we're going to break it out a little more specifically. We're going to talk about specific scenes. Today we're doing top three opening scenes. So movies that blew you away with the first introduction to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to start? Uh, I will. Uh, it's a pretty conventional pick. You don't have a dishonorable mention, I see. I... So, can I tell you that I wrote a dishonorable mention, and then I was conflicted. I was going to put as a dishonorable mention the Lord of War, the life of the bullet thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, because, yeah. Because on the one hand, like, I remember seeing that when I was, like, 18 and being like, that was fucking cool. But at 31, I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, guys, shut it down. But I still think it's, like, a little cool, and I couldn't resolve. I think the problem with that opening is that then Nicolas Cage comes then, on the screen. Then Lord of War is on. You really wish the credits would come back. Yeah, so anyways. I, be I, a better movie. I guess that was, like, a backdoor way of saying that I had a dishonorable mention-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that that's the best I could do. Uh, I'm going to start with my dishonorable mention. Yeah. The Shawshank Redemption, because I know there's a first half hour to that movie. 
couldn't tell you what happens in it. Yeah, no. He he just pops into prison, and TBS would have me believe that too, because that movie is on at all hours of the day. Literally, or at least it was for. 10 to 20 years of my life. We have ATTUverse, which will show us both TBS and then TBS West Coast, which is two hours behind. Yeah. And so there are literally days where I can just switch back and forth and just watch Shawshank Redemption yeah. all day. And here's the thing. Find a person who's seen the first half hour. I don't think they're real. I think it's I've a seen it. mimetic conspiracy. I think you're full of lies. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and here's the other thing. I, 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 I feel like I've seen it once or twice, but it instantly slipped from my mind sure. as not being the movie I've seen 800 times. Right. And here's the other thing. If he just starts in prison... That's fine too. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I think, also completely unnecessary to the film because I still love the movie, having for years never known there were scenes that took place outside the prison in the first act. Yeah, I think had, you're totally on. Had no here. idea, right. and I'm just like, is it a good opening scene if it's in completely negligible? And I'm like, probably not. Not just completely. You know, they refer to the opening scenes of the movie uh, after uh, later on after Morgan Freeman's character gets out of prison. I know they refer to, but it, they also but just they work also, flashbacks. But in, in referring yeah. to it, you know everything you need to know. Like, I, I think don't you need to see it. Like, I think yeah. you're onto something here because like. We all agree that The Shawshank Redemption is an incredible film. I think yeah, that AFI I'm rated sh- is like one of the 10 best yeah, films. Not shitting on The Shawshank Redemption. No. Love it. No, but 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 I think what's important is that we, we culturally, routinely talk about this as one of the great films of the 20th century, and I'm with you. I can't tell you what the fuck happens in the first hour of that And movie. when we talk about one of the great films of the first century, we talk about it as like the last half of the first act, yeah. maybe, are probably starting around act two. Yeah. Like, no, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, um, so. Okay, into into good opening scenes, uh, which is where, in theory, this was all headed. Uh, I'm going to start. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to jump right in there. Um, this one waffled as my second pick. I'm going to be honest. And I finally just made a commitment. This was number three. The other one was number two, but hot damn. You want to talk about good opening scenes, the dark Knight, mm. the, uh, the bank break scene. Uh, oh where yeah. They're all wearing clown masks. Yeah. And you don't know that one of them is With the actual the, Joker. The string tightening uh, scene in the background. Oh my god! Haunting, yeah. yeah, and the fucking like the use of the school buses, uh, the conversations happening on rooftops, kind of like setting up the lore of the Joker. Yeah, as they're kind of going through the you know the nuts and bolts motion, motions of robbing a bank, all with you know distorted Joker masks masks on. It was stunning, and I think it set the stage for one of the most interesting things Chris Nolan did in The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is not a Batman movie. It is a crime drama that Batman and the Joker are in, Mm -hmm. and he sets the stage for that by putting this really beautiful bank heist in as the opening fucking You remember the climax of Heat? What if we started with that? Right, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely stunning. Uh, What's third for you? Uh, My third is going to be pretty conventional, uh, but it's going to be Touch of Evil. I like a good one -er. Uh, I like a great crane shot. If you can do a oneer with a crane shot in a crowded scene yep. with lots of varying audio cues, yep. uh, and it's just—I mean, it's so good. The rest of the movie fails to live up to it. Sure, um, and it's still a very good movie. Uh, but uh, Touch of Evil is a—you know—it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. So uh, I think it's sort of a vin- in a lot of way it sort of. Um, invents the movie that sort of starts off with a bang quite literally yeah in in that it, it shows the power of a uh dynastic and uh very uh cinematic and auteur yeah a uh, bravo uh masterstroke at the start of a movie yeah and how that can get you invested in the rest of the movie um and so yeah i mean it putting your best foot forward it really makes that a thing 
And when you talk about opening scenes, you have to kind of talk about Touch of Evil. So it's For pretty sure. conventional, but it's my three. You know, um, the new Bond films, the Daniel Craig and Bond then, films. And then uh, Charles and Heston plays a Mexican man, and it goes downhill from there. But uh, the first scene is great. The new Bond films, yeah. uh, the particularly the one Sam Mendes did. Oh, yeah. Uh, they kind of have that like same effect for me, too. Oh, which Skyfall. Is the opening, uh, Spectre, even, like, the opening scenes are incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and so incredible, in fact, that, like, for Spectre... Casino uh, Royale, the, the tense... Like yeah. gun talk between the jump cut to yeah. the bathroom fight, it, real great. It's actually hard for the rest of the film to really love live up to that kind of like cinematography. Yeah. Uh, and A- after Casino Royale, the bathroom fight was so effective that every fucking spy movie yeah. in history now has a bathroom fight. That's right. Yeah. Like yeah. like Mission Impossible. Oh great, we get to see Tom Cruise not be as good as Daniel Craig in a bathroom. But like, he gets to beat up Superman. Yeah. yeah. And I want to see I want to see Tom I, I do I do want to see Henry Cavill punk anybody <laughs> by a 60-year-old if that was happening at the circus, anchor. I would pay a sixpence and <laughs> go into that tent. Uh yeah. All right, number 2 on my list, um Inglorious Bastards, the first time I watched this movie. Uh, say what you want about Quentin so Tarantino. So you need some suspense set up. Yeah, I do. Is what I'm understanding. You, Tarantino, need, to, you need to establish some fucking tension. I do. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Tarantino is awful. Uh, no question about that. I get it. Having said that, the fir- as a human, as a human, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The first five minutes, the conversation between Christoph Waltz uh, and the dairy farmer uh, is like. It's one of the few moments in history where I felt myself not breathe. No, it's the, a dentist drill. Yeah. It is it is agonizing. Yeah. And Christoph Waltz is, that that was really my first interaction with Christoph Waltz as I think it was for much of the western world much of America nonetheless. It was jarring. Um, mm-hmm. I mean it was haunting. And I That whole movie is sort of um just tantalism. Yeah. It's just like tension, yep. then tension, yeah. then tension and then like a release and then a release that's so sudden and insane yep. that you're just like what happened? What what happened? Had a similar yeah, uh, similar effect uh, as Get Out for me, which is like every scene you they were giving you enough to think something really bad was about to happen, and for so long nothing bad really, and then bam, you know yeah. what I mean? So as opposed to Hateful Eight, which was a lot of foreplay, and then you just said at the end, "What if we didn't?" Never, never. I have a headache. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Number uh, two for you. Uh, this is going to be my. Uh, it's going to be edgy for film, and it's going to be completely predictable for me. So I was in a hipster bar in St. Louis once, and they were playing this uh, black and white film on the TV that I'd never seen before. And uh, the credits rolled, and then it recycled again. And I just saw the opening scene, and I was so transfixed by the uh, weird sort of fisheye lens they would use, and the upward angles, and the black and white photography, and the long one takes, and the sort of dizzying way they would move the camera in between people. Uh, that I ended up looking up and watching the whole thing, and it definitely failed up to live with us for five minutes. But the first five minutes were great, and the cinematography greats and it's I am Cuba which is a Soviet propaganda film in 1958 to talk about how great the Cuban revolution was that Cubans hated because the Soviets were really racist against Cubans and that Soviets hated because the Soviets were really racist against Cubans mm-hmm. and it was sort of uh, kind forgotten of a miss until uh, 1990 when Scorsese got the print restored because the cinematography is sort of amazing and uh, I, I put it on here because it is an opening scene I can still remember, like, almost shot for shot, and it was so in- visually entrancing, I had to see the rest of the film. And it is sort of amazing how it jump cuts between these, you know, like, uh, extremely impoverished Cuban villages, and then it goes to Havana, 
at a uh, basically like a Univista social club mm. sort of jazz mm-hmm. club and like this dizzying capital decadence and then it will cut back and then it'll cut back and it sort of jump cuts between these you know extreme areas of poverty to this like height of decadence and like there's all sorts of crazy swirling Dutch angles and close-ups and it's moving in and out and it is a it is very uh, good visual storytelling yeah I'd so. watch the first five minutes of that yeah sure and then I would immediately forget I'm and that would be fine yep. yeah yeah all right, number one on my list, and as I see, we couldn't have gone in more different directions here, um, which is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Up has, like, one of the most jarring first 15 minutes God. of any film that I've ever watched. Um, I don't... So I always assume I'm going to cry when I watch a Pixar film. I watched Coco last weekend and literally wept. Like, not not cried. It is... I would rather get maced than watch Coco again. Brandy, it would be less, like, I'd have more dignity. Yeah. Brandy, like, at one point I turned to her and I said, when he start, when he goes to sing to his grandma, just shut it down. Oh, and I, 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 I honestly don't know what the last five minutes of Coco looked like, because it was as yeah. if I was watching yeah. the whole movie through a I window assume, I assume rain. It's, yeah, I assume yeah. it's well animated. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. No. Uh, got real blurry. <laughs> um, but up, man. Like, I was so excited. I mean... Stunning pictures. The images looked great. Uh, the commercials are like, oh, this is going to be super fun and kind of weird for Pixar. And look, they're, they're using like full-on people kind of. Uh, and then in the first 15 minutes, you meet the old man. You meet him as a young man getting married to obviously the love of his life. Um, she has a miscarriage. Uh, and then she dies. And that's how Up starts. <laughs> Fuck you, Disney, is how I feel about that. Um, I almost included this, but like, here's the thing. I don't. I love up. Yeah. I love the film. It's a very funny film, but I don't think the movie can live up to the first five minutes of up. Like it's even when that good. kid's like really and that dog's funny and the birds doing crazy antics and and the kids running around and I'm I'm just the old man at that point. It's like I don't know. Can I feel joy again? Yeah. No. Is I'm with that you. possible? Like, and I suppose that's a great opening film because I'm very much identifying with the protagonist there. Yeah. yeah. But like. I was like, oh man, there's a bunch of dogs on this island, and that's just sort of adorable. And oh god, they can talk, but but look, he, he but is there joy in the world? He found a family again. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, so partially, it's number one for me because of the cognitive dissonance. Like, here I am sitting down to this Pixar film, you know, like eating movie theater nachos, and then I'm you know like gagging on sobs here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, the the other reason is because um, it, I don't know. I mean, it just. It, it was a really brutal way to set the stage for a really interesting, fun story. Yeah. And it was beautiful. I mean, yeah. it's a no, it gorgeous was great. film. It was great. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to stop talking about it now before things get weird. <laughs> um, what's number one on your list? Uh, mine is more along your tension line of things. Yeah. It's like, look, an opening scene needs to establish certain facts for your film to move forward. Sometimes it's exposition if it's not that great. Sometimes it's sort of like internal character truth. In that instance, one of the things that No Country need for Old Men needs to establish is that this man is extremely fucking evil. Yeah. And boy, does it do that. <laughs> like, holy shit. The, the introduction of Anton Chigurh is a note that never stops. Mm-hmm. Like, they hit that in the first moment, and then every scene without him, you're like, is that evil dude with the bowl cut going to show up? Right, right. And every scene he's in, he's like, oh shit. What's he going to do? What horribly evil thing is that guy yeah, going to do? Sure. And, it, it, like, the whole the whole movie doesn't work without it. So for me, uh, it's no country for old men, because you can't have the movie without his 
crazy bulged eyes staring yeah. up at the camera as he chokes a man to death. Yeah. Yeah. It was a jarring opening scene. It was a jarring movie and then it yeah. was over and I wanted to watch it again. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, unlike uh, it was, it was kind of included as a, as an antagonistic pair with there will be blood that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another great film that I never wanted to watch again. I have seen precisely one time and will never see a second. Why time. did we do those together? They're very different movies. Like, yeah. Why? Why was that established? We in threw the them together as like weird art housey mainstream films. That was a great year for movies. It was though. a really good was year for film. Be gone that yeah. year. That yeah. was a great movie. Um, so, anyways, um, oh yeah, well, producer well, Ross. Yeah, uh, a few thoughts. One, um, I feel like you could do it in another segment of just opening heist scenes in movies. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, because aside from the Dark Knight, I also thought of like Baby Driver yes. and The Wild Bunch. Yeah, uh, both of which are great uh, heist movies. But for me, the, probably the single best opening for a movie ever uh, would be the opening monologue for Rubber uh, because it's so. Like, I had no idea what to expect with that movie, obviously. And then that scene was just like, I was, what the fuck? This is, this is transcendent. I loved it. Yeah, surrealism at its finest. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty good. No, no reason. Uh, <laughs> so I loved it. I, I, I unironic, unironically love Rubber. Still haven't and seen it and still probably won't. Uh, That's how I feel about that. You should watch the opening. Well, I'm busy. <laughs> I've got a bunch of recording to do. We've, yeah. we've got a backlog. <laughs> right. um, more beer, more things. More mix six. We'll be back. Spencer, what are you drinking? Uh, so from Prairie Artisan Ales, our favorite brewery of 2017, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be drinking the Twist, which is a dry hopped farmhouse ale and i'm really excited to try this on the heels of our first really good Stillwater experience mm-hmm. um because it's also a, a farmhouse here we go yeah. i think i would have uh, maybe given it a four if i was a bigger fan of farmhouses but it's a serviceable farmhouse which yeah for me i've is never a been three. a huge fan i mean yeah. they're okay oh wow but. that's really good all right let me let me, let me try that what type of beer it. is that again it's a dry hopped farmhouse ale mm-hmm. um and so it's not distorted though it, yeah <laughs> importantly um, so what's interesting is that uh, oh that's way better that's way better that is definitely that no yeah Stillwater deserves three because that deserves the four that is the, oh, that might that, be a five for that, me that might be a five that's the most drinkable, drinkable farmhouse, farmhouse I've ever that's had. right it there, there's a little punch of sour on the beginning oh um, yeah the hops add like a nice uh, it's not bitter it's aromatic on the back mm-hmm. end um, and yeah. uh, a little bit herbaceous mm-hmm. I. I really like this beer. I know it's just March, but I'm starting to get worried. What do we do if Prairie wins again? Oh, no. Yeah, totally reasonable. Like, yeah. I what do we... Is that allowed? Well, so... Like, do you have to pass the trophy like an intramural softball league? Like, what's going on? We I, didn't I, have a trophy for the first last year or so. Well, we didn't show it to you. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a trophy. Maybe yet. that's... Okay, so maybe I should take more trips then. Huh? Is that it? <laughs> there it is. Yeah. I, I right. knew he was going to use it. Um, I, I think it's really just incumbent on everyone else to continue to send us such great olive oil so that we can find breweries outside Delicious of our own, olive oil. our own scope... And cans of wine. ...of olive oil and wine. Yeah. Boxed wine yeah, yeah yeah entire boxes of wine please people um hey we're into ask mix six uh and sean whalen asks for people like me who are into abstract and surreal experiences from games and media but absolutely hate when they turn out to be pretentious navel-gazing nonsense is there a rule of thumb for finding good art house projects or at least not be disappointed when i feel nothing mm. and 
I got to be honest with you. Like, normally I would see a question like this and I would be like, mm, don't know enough, skipping it. Um, but something happened to me only days before I saw this question come across our plate. Are you okay? I watched Birdman. Oh, so you're not. I'm not. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, in some way, so th- this is my, speaking of abstract and surreal experiences, this is my odd introduction to this question and why I feel the way I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Birdman. I'd never seen Birdman before, which feels weird for two reasons. One, Michael Keaton. Oh, he's in it? Cool, I'm there. Um, two, Birdman feels like in some ways it was kind of written for me. So, like, I have this ideal vision of Michael Keaton in my head as Batman, and I'm totally interested in how... Would you like to destroy that and right. think about mortality well, instead? Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I like just, just, just academically, socially, culturally, I'm kind of interested in, like, playing with pop culture as anchor, right? Like, how that might frame your life and what that might do to your psyche. Like, I think all of those questions are so fascinating and interesting. Um, and, and then, you know... Uh, one best picture. Uh, I, you know, I hear all these great stories. Rightfully so. Yeah, fantastic film about you know the cinematography and how interesting it is, uh, and um, this you know like heartbeat pace of the film. And then I watched it and felt almost nothing. What? Like what? Yeah. Oh, like podcast al- divorce. Almost nothing. File the papers, producer Ross. Like I so sorry, I'm on sabbatical. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Um, I, I what I'm telling myself, and what I'm telling you, so that we can once again sit at this table and do this sacred act. Oh, Jesus, is that my expectations were so high that because this only hit a double, um, it it felt like it. You know, it struck out. Uh, you know, in bad parlance. You're lucky I'm so thirsty for podcasts that I'm letting you walk this back. Yeah, I'm really right. lucky. Um, but, but, what I, but what I know to be true in my heart, if I can get past the facade of explanation, is that I thought that that was an interesting, fine film that I would not watch again. And so to Sean's, que- Sean's question, um, how, do I, how do I not be disappointed when I feel nothing? Um, I tell myself that, or what I, what I've been telling myself is a, that I wasn't disappointed because uh, my expectations were out of whack. Try that lie, Sean. It worked for me for at least a few days. Um, but in reality, I think what I'm dealing with here is the fact that like, and, um, some media that I should really love. And part of the reason I should really love it is because not everyone else loves it. Isn't really all that great when I'm done interacting with it and that's okay. Like that, that's totally fucking fine. And it's taken me 10 days now to, to really work through that on Birdman. I have to be honest with you. I do. I'm sorry. All right. Well, aside from your thought crime, uh, I suppose we should focus on Sean, uh, and stay together for the kids. All right, Sean. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about this because, you know, of my hatred of David Lynch, uh, recently came out. I'm out of the closet is hating David Lynch. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm finding support on the internet and thank God, because I thought I was all alone in this. Um, so, uh, I've been thinking a lot about how to define this sort of thing. So I really like Goas three questions about art. So where you can say you like art is good or art is bad and you can have an aesthetic discussion. That's not, well, you know, that character reminds me of my aunt's. Tilly yeah, and sure. Tilly was nice, so I like the I like the movie. Um, uh, I really like them. And three questions: If you're not aware, are uh, what is this trying to do? Is it doing it well? And is it worth doing? All right, and it becomes good art if you can answer. Uh, can I tell what it's trying to do? 
Uh, is it doing? Is it well? doing well? Yeah. And is it worth doing? And if all three are yes, you're you're at the good art. And here's the thing. Here, I think you separate the surrealist and uh, sort of abstract experiences from navel gaving nonsense with that first question. Yeah. And not the second two. Those are important for determining other aesthetic determinations. Totally but I think agree. that first question yeah. is where you draw the line between like this is surreal and abstract because it needs to be yeah. versus this is just trying to be yeah. nonsense for nonsense's sake. That's right. And Is uh, it the purpose or is it a vehicle? Yeah. And here's the thing. Uh, here's what I would suggest, Sean. I will posit that it is the artist's responsibility to answer that first question for you. Mm. If mm. they have not communicated mm-hmm. what they are trying to do yeah. in any way that's accessible to you, um, that is a sign that you might be looking at some navel-gaving nonsense. Yeah. Now, I know that uh, you know ignores death of the author and you know meaning sure. being immutable, but like, I'm not too in love with postmodernism of late anyway, right. so right. let's go ahead and run away from that. Sorry, yeah. Barts. Um, but uh, the the idea that like they need to communicate what you're trying to do first. So like Birdman, I think it does it. Because here's the thing I think about Birdman. Birdman doesn't work without Michael Keaton. Oh, totally agree. And that's yeah. not... That's not to disregard his performance or the performance of everybody else no. or the cinematography or anything else. It was brilliant casting, yeah. and that should be lauded upon the director as well. Yeah. But the meta casting choice of Michael Keaton yeah. communicates to you yes. what that surrealism and abstraction is about. Yeah. It's about complicating the complications of age, sure. about the complications of dealing with mortality, mm-hmm. about taking a relatively simplistic story Batman, which yeah. we're all supposed to know, right. and complicating it with you know a f- you know endless cycle of maturity yeah. that keeps on going right. uh, as he also comes of age right. as a result of you know his interaction that stage. Well, so. and communicating you know the the difficulty of having depth shortcut by fame. Yes, you know what I mean. Um, and, and and again, I don't think it was a bad movie. I didn't not enjoy it. I just when it was over, I was like, okay, that movie's over. Are you have rubber? Which producer Ross mentioned, which literally starts with a thesis statement, yeah. which is like, it is a surrealist movie. Yeah, and it is a surrealist movie from front to goddamn back. Yep. But what they do and why it is a surrealist movie that actually worked in the United States and was seen in United States theater and was enjoyed by people that are not uber film nerds is that it is literally a manifesto for surrealism mm-hmm. in that there is no reason. Right. And the fact that there doesn't have to be a reason is in itself a commentary in life. Mm-hmm. So I can tell what it's trying to do. It sure. is at least answered the third, the first question. Yeah. I can understand or at least approach possible interpretations of yeah. why this exists and why this is that weird. Yeah. David Lynch, I got nothing. No, I, and, got, I got jack shit. Like, and, uh, yeah, that lady loves a log for reasons and everyone asks like the high school play because i guess they're supposed to and uh, yeah i know yeah you're there's there's definitely something to this though because i because i as i extrapolate um this kind of argument and i think about some of my favorite directors or favorite films and um i uh i start thinking about like uh hot fuzz and Shaun of the dead um it's so clearly communicated by edgar wright right at the beginning of the film that the way in which the story is approached is purposeful because it allows you to understand the content of the story more Mm -hmm. richly right um even when i think about like some of the stuff that we've talked about with uh denny v um 
the communication of the means. Oh yeah, happens, enemy. Yeah, surrealist film happens. Still a good movie. Early it's Danny V. And often, and um, and there's kind of an argument premise established at the beginning, which is this adds texture meaningfully in this way, mm-hmm. so that the rest of the film kind of reads like that. So yeah, I guess this is kind of an interesting way of approaching that that I'd not really thought about. I mean, when you talk about surrealism and abstraction, you like look at the modernists and all that kind of like area. Like, there's a reason imagism and surrealism came with all those goddamn manifestos. It's because they had to communicate the answer to the first fucking question why is this shit so weird <laughs> like what is this trying to do can i tell and there's a reason it comes with those big long manifestos and even then it doesn't necessarily mean it's good art you yeah. have the images in manifesto and you still get yeah. ezra pounds cantos that unspeakable nonsense yeah. by a little toady fascist bastard like it, it doesn't mean it's good art but you do have to communicate that first question yeah. to get to the consideration of this is weird as balls yeah but i still think it's good or bad like yeah. yeah here's something i'm struggling with on the other side of this coin um so i just purchased my third haruki murakami book uh wild sheep chase and every time i finish uh murakami i go like well that was kind of interesting but like why did i kind of not like it and i think it's because um for some of the authors i do like vonnegut kind of being the point in case here where it is established early and often that absurdism is the frame by which we should evaluate much of the universe Mm -hmm. and here here is an example of that i I need to read more because i read wind up bird chronicles and i don't know if i talked about it on the podcast but it defeated me Mm -hmm. in that i read every page of it and i could tell you what happened in sequential order yes and i could tell you zero of what it meant. Yes. Like, <laughs> Colorless Sakura Tazaki is the exact same thing. I'm like 50 pages into a wild sheep chase and I'm like, some of these things are interesting and like, I like how the story's unfolding, but I have no fucking clue why we are encountering these things. Utterly defeated. Yeah. Like, uh, we, we were actually at a restaurant and I was explaining to Ross what I was reading and he said that should just be a podcast of me being utterly confused about Murakami. Definitely. Um, but like, I am reserving judgment on that because I understand he's also from a different culture. Right. Yep. So like, maybe he has answered the question yep. and I don't get it because I'm it. not deeply enough into the 1980s Japanese suburban life to, to understand what's trying to be communicated. Yeah. And it is well written. Like, yeah. it, what The answer to the second question, is it done well? Yes. Terribly. I, I can say that. I don't know if it's worth doing because I don't know the answer to the first one, right. but uh, I, I mean, I, it has defeated me as a book. And that's also possible. Maybe it has communicated it clearly and you didn't realize it. Yeah. But um, I would focus on that first question if you're going to decide, is this just up its own ass for weirdness's sake? Or is it like doing it for an artistic aesthetic reason? Absolutely. Um, Caleb gave you a framework for actually understanding something, and I just told you I was kind of bummed by Birdman. Yeah. So uh, on that note, we're going to grab more beer, and we'll be right back. Caleb, what is the last beer you will review today? Uh, this oh man, now I'm sad again. Sorry, I mean Is producer Ross leaving again. What's that great looking beer? Don't you have? leave. Don't go to. I'm going to Far Shores oh, yeah. to experience new alcohol. Here, and you die. He's got his pith helmet on already. <laughs> There's no stopping him once he puts the helmet on. Uh, I'm going to drink again from Maddie Gibbons. Thank you very much, Maddie. Uh, from Firestone. The Velvet Merkin Oatmeal Stout. Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting bottle. It comes in a box. Yep. 
If you've seen it, you've probably seen it at a local liquor store. They're they're pretty widely distributed. You've probably so we. I think we had the 2016 mm-hmm. during a this tasting. is the 2017. Yeah. They also they also year their beers like wines. Right. Yeah. 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 We had the 2016 a so few weeks ago legally, with Dylan Whitaker. It's fine to ship because it's a just wine. wine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, you gonna are you gonna taste that thing? If you put a year on it, it's technically wine. No or, matter what it or, is. Yes. I don't know. Whiskeys are wines. Mm-hmm. Mathematically, maybe. <laughs> It's still a very drinkable beer. That's a triple. That's a four. It's not my utterly favorite stout, but it is, it is very delicious. Um, I don't remember the 2016. Yeah, because we drank it on a night that we continued drinking many other things. <laughs> and we lost that recording in our brains. Uh, we also lost that night in our toilets, if I'm being totally honest. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, I, I mean, I recall it now. The sense memory is returning. Yeah. And I think it was good then, too, but it's quite good now. It's very smooth. It has a little tobacco on it. Yep. And I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm getting to where I can handle a little tobacco, a little smoke on the end of a porter For or sure. a stout. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm into it. So we're into new-ish segment. So um, one of the things that we heard over and over and over again on the survey results is that people really enjoyed um, our pairing segment when we paired beers uh, with Star Wars movies. Yeah. And we also... Which is a listener suggestion. Also make us better every time. missed the fact that Lando Calrissian actually did a beer commercial. and He drinks Cold 40. Sorry about that, everybody. I blame Caleb, even though I I said it. I thought that was a... Not a beer, but a... It's malt liquor. Malt liquor. But it's it's just... It's disgusting beer. (laughs) Um, That's what Lando drinks. Um, And so anyways... uh, I haven't had a Cold 45 since the last time I played Edward 40 Hands, which has been a hot minute. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Right? Yeah. I haven't had a Colt 45 since... Well, I'm not getting into that. That. Um, <laughs> so anyways, we've decided to make that kind of thing uh, at least a, a marginally official part of the show. We're calling it We Make a Pair, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to pair beers with non-beer things. Yeah. Uh, and today, we're going to pair beers with Kurt Russell movies. And why Kurt Russell movies, Caleb? Because uh, we are doing another movie day uh, very soon, because uh, I need a party, frankly. We, we you know, the, the long, dark... Two months that Ross was gone. Uh, it we, was it like was seventeen days. Twenty seventeen. Three whole months without him. Okay. Yeah. Like really a whole quarter right. of a year. A dark period. Uh, yeah, it was a dark period for us, and I we need to celebrate now that he's back. And so we're gonna have uh, WrestleMania. Holla. Which is a uh, day to celebrate Kurt Russell. God. And frankly, there aren't enough of them. Can't so think of a better day. Yeah. So and so we're going to just sit around and watch a whole bunch of Kurt Russell movies. And we're going to do it on St. Patrick's Day. And we are going to do it on St. Patrick's Day. Bingo, bingo. Reasons of scheduling. It really has nothing to do. I don't even know if he's Irish. Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah. 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 Um, so anyways, uh, we have decided to pair beers with all five of the Kurt Russell films that we'll be watching. And by watching, I mean like we'll have on in the background while Caleb and I dominate people at beer pong. Mm-hmm. We play quarters. Um, we fall asleep on the floor. Uh, we'll, we'll be watching, quote unquote, Big Trouble in Little China, arguably, or arguably one of the three greatest films ever made, Escape from New York, The Computer Worn Tennis Shoes, Overboard, and criminally underrated Sky High. Criminally underrated. I fucking love Sky High. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do that right now. It's very good. Um, so we'll be pairing beers with these movies. Uh, do you want to start at the top or you want to start at the bottom? Let's start at the top. Okay. Uh, You're up, boo. So Big Trouble, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with Cheer Day Brewing's Lucky Buddha. <laughs> so here's the thing. You want something that represents China, but in the in the tradition of Jack Burton, right. offensively so. Yeah. And I can think of no beer better than Lucky Buddha, yeah. which is a very Buddha-shaped bottle 
that is quite skunky. Sneaky good pick. And in uh, green glass. So right. it, it is the beer that uh, Jack Burton would drink in Little China while he is experiencing big trouble. No, I'm with you on this. Uh, if I remember correctly, Lucky Buddha was a member of the Mix 12 Monday yes. uh, over a year ago. I remember it correctly because I looked it up and I remember nothing else about that day for yeah. other reasons. Yeah. 12 beers. Yeah. Other reasons. yeah. 11 other reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I thought the easy choice here was Sing Tao, um, and, and I didn't want to be easy. Yeah, so then I thought, that. what's the difficult choice here? So first I started thinking about, like, well, how does Big Trouble relate to me? You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> probably my second or third favorite film of all time. Um, it's actually gotten better with age. You know, the older you get, the more, like, robust the film becomes because you can start to identify all these other themes. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yeah, that's just bullshit. Like, honestly, the film is fucking great because the film is fucking great and I don't need to like overdo you thought Jack Burton was cool as a kid yeah exactly and now you realize he's awful and and that's cool so he's still cool I thought the fact that there were like three storms that showed up and had cool fucking weapons that could fly around oh yeah uh, Raiden was in it exactly um, and so I didn't really want to over-intellectualize this. Instead, what I wanted to do is I wanted to pick a beer that celebrated in its audacity the same way that Big Trouble in Little China celebrates in its audacity. And so I've chosen by Bell's Brewery, Hop Slam. Hop Slam doesn't give a fuck about you. It doesn't give a fuck about your palate. It cares about the hops. It cares about the hops. <laughs> It, it, it's not like some of these IPAs that are like, it's hoppy, but with a purpose. Hop Slam is like, it's hoppy, motherfucker. Drink it. Okay? <laughs> it does. And Big Trouble. Slap little, you across the face with a bushel of wheat. It's offensive yeah. in so many ways, and yet it is delicious, and I Can covet it. Can you get it. gluten poisoning? I don't know. We're going to find We're out. We're going to find out today. <laughs> uh, you're going to learn today. <laughs> Um, and in the same way, uh, John Carpenter's take on a uh, small, you know, big time conflict. It is not nuanced. In Little China. I will give you that. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. It's offensive to the palate. It is literally neon lettering around Chinese restaurants mm. as stereotypical, you know, like Chinese gods fight it out in the street next to the Pork Trap Express. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, people worship green-eyed women. I mean, it... It lacks nuance. It, it lacks complexity. It, it goes a hundred miles an hour in the direction it is trying to go. Mm-hmm. Not unlike Hop Slam. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good justification. Escape from New York. Uh, so I'm gonna. This is very personal to me as well. Uh, so wait, my, wait, wait. It is personal. And my bit here is based on the fact that it is personal. <laughs> is it? Did you pick the same thing? No. Okay. Can I intro this one? So yeah. That then yeah, you go can for tell it. the story. Escape from New York. Yeah. Okay. So. Escape, uh, there are two levels of decision making here. So one is I wanted something gritty. I wanted something hard to drink. I wanted to replicate the Snake Plissken experience. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, what is a beer I have had that tastes of the motor oil covering Snake Plissken's body <laughs> as he escapes from the post-apocalyptic boroughs of mm-hmm. New York? And what I was reminded of is On Fleek. Which is a thirteen percent stout in a can. I fucking love that beer. Yeah, yeah. That we talking about a beer without nuance. We drank like two or three years ago. I watched you kill a can of this thing and then functionally lose the ability to walk out of a bar. <laughs> it's thirteen percent stout in a can, and it is not the first beer you had awesome. that day, sir. It is thick. You so gotta then, chew that thing. Then here's the second layer of argument around on fleek. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up earlier today because yeah. like I'd forgotten about it mm-hmm. a little bit, and I was like, who the fuck makes that? And, and you're about to tell a story, a really surprising story about the nature of Escape from New York and your relationship to it. And so I was shocked to find out who makes On Fleek. You want to take a guess? Uh, who does? Stillwater Artisanal Ales. Really? 
Oh, wow. Which is the exact same reaction I had when you told me about your personal relationship to Escape from New York, plan succeeded, mission accomplished, <laughs> raise the banner, where's George W. Bush in the Navy? the episode title is really, they Stillwater did do it. Yep. Wow. Yep. They so did it. It's on fleek by Stillwater Artisanal Ales. It's actually a collab with another brewery. We're going to come up with a new name for the rule. I know. And I didn't care what that other brewery's name was. Uh, I just no. saw. It stays the same. <laughs> their name on the can, and I went with it. Um, arguably not as good as the surprise that you are about to reveal, but thematically on point. See, I feel like you really built me up too much here. So, like, uh, I don't think so. Uh, my dad is an escape from New York. How can anyone build that up too much? <laughs> Your uh, dad is Donald Pleasant? No, <laughs> God, I wish. Uh, just kidding. I love you, Dad. Um, <laughs> but Donald Pleasance is great, and we all have to admit it. Yeah. Uh, so Escape from New York is actually filmed in the cheapest way you can represent a post-apocalypse, and that is by just going to East St. Louis, <laughs> at which point my father was an actor, and he achieved a casting call, and he is an extra in Escape from New York. He is in the scene in which uh, the Snake Plissken is fighting in the wrestling ring. Uh, he is also has an axe and goes, Ugh, as they shoot at Donald Pleasants while he's on a wall. Uh, so uh, it's really a bravura acting. He, he changed a chase. <laughs> Kurt Russell under a train. He's got a range. But they cut it. They cut that part, which well, is sad. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, um, I did not go with a beer that my dad was in a movie in because I couldn't figure out how to represent that pair. Seems fair. What I could do is say anything by Youngling because yeah. when we went to Metatopia <laughs> this year, apparently there are no craft beers in New Jersey Just or anywhere. anywhere within New York. It is only Youngling and you cannot drink without supporting some horrible Republican nightmare and having an average taste in your mouth. So I'm going to pick anything by Youngling yep. because nothing made me want to escape from New York more than their tap line and specifically yes. the Youngling domination of it. Quick caveat, James Byrne did, James Birds did bring us like an interesting Youngling variant that we kind of that we yeah. that we liked. Uh, I, I I kind of like Youngling, yeah. in spite of their politics. Sure, yeah. But like when it's all I can drink, I, oh, yeah. the resentment just grows to like yeah. a fever pitch, yep. and I I have to get out of there. All right, we're under the computer computer worn tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, my pick here is not as exciting uh, as my previous two picks. Uh, you want to go first? Uh, okay, I'm going to go with Omegong's Rosetta. Oh so, God. You need some, a great beer on a you decent need, movie. You need something complex <laughs> that shouldn't work but does. All right, Rose, as Mary Berry has told us multiple times, in the Great British Bake Off mm. is a difficult flavor to work mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. and every Omagong beer is just this like teetering card house of of flavors. Like three philosophers is so complex. It's like exceptional. if you kick anything out from that, you know, teetering. You know, structure. The whole thing's going to come collapsing Symphony. down. And you know what? If you get electrocuted by a computer, the likelihood that you're going to get really good at trivia and not dead very slim. Yep. But Rosetta pulls it off. Yep. The computer wears tennis shoes, pulls it off, and that's a good pairing right it, there. Aged on cherries, man. I mm-hmm. mean, that's your thing. You know. Yeah, I like it. Um. So I um. Look, I, a lot of a lot of the movies we're talking about here are movies that I like settle in to watch. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, it's an event to sit down and watch these movies. This is the epitome of like, oh, that movie's on. And so I thought like, what's a beer that is like, oh, that beer is on tap and nothing else is going on. And I don't really get excited about any of the, of the other menu options. And it can, it can sustain me while I do nothing. And that's a blue moon. 
Um, and that's about how I feel about the computer war tennis shoes. <laughs> Look in in the in the the, the we're gonna an- be playing a lot of beer pong during that one. Oh, when it's on? I'm not gonna see that movie <laughs> on, on on Saturday, March 17th. It will not it will not grace my eyeballs. But it's it's really good that it got made. And the Kurt Russell doing uh, like you know teenager Disney films is a really interesting period in his life. And God love him, it got him to all these other great gems. Yeah, that it's, we're talking the, about. it's the training montage, right. man. You can't skip the training montage. When That's you right. Grow up to be a master, right. like Kurt Russell. And what is better for a training montage than a beautifully crafted, mass distributed Belgian white with an orange in it? Is how I feel about that. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. On to overboard, and I will say this: uh, from the ages of like seven to fourteen, there might not be four more films I watched more than Overboard. It was on a lot. Yeah, and it I watched on TV it every time yeah. it was on. T- I mean, this is like quietly. I don't know if my mom would admit this. Quietly, one of her favorite films. Uh, Sarah said she would divorce me if this wasn't selected as part of the. Yeah, that's reasonable. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. To be clear, do? we left out the thing. Overboard, though. Yeah. In. Yeah. Hard in. By the threat of divorce. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's the important thing to remember here. <laughs> though I am not against Overboard by any means. No, it's fucking great. All right. Uh, I want you to go first here because I want to see where you go. I have two picks, okay. and I don't want to. I don't want to be on the same line because I think I know where you went. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, this is a little bit askew for me. I'm going to be totally honest. So for me, Overboard is about celebrating simplicity and the workmanlike things in life. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. that I know where you went. I think that in the last um, 14 or so months that we've been recording these podcasts, we've been blessed with a bunch of fours and a bunch of fives and a lot of threes. Um, and some twos and some ones to be sure. Um, but, but if we learned anything from Joanna in Overboard, it's that the true value of life is in finding pleasure and joy and love in the simple, cheap things. And so I went with natural light because <laughs> I felt like that was a thing um, that would both be consumed during that film and also (laughs) illustrates what I think is that the core purpose of that film, which is to remind us that, yeah, like the, the happiest we can be really is in the simplest we can be. All right. Uh, I was going to go with Bushlight. I was too, but honestly, Bushlight's too good. Uh, It is probably too good. Yeah. Yeah. But I am going to drink some of it while Overboard is on. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I went with another direction. I had a backup pick because okay. I, I wanted to make sure we covered this. Yeah. And while I love Kurt and Kurt deserves his druthers, mm-hmm. uh, we can't, uh, as, as feminists, we can't forget the work of Goldie, Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. Yeah. So She's fucking phenomenal. Uh, I think Goldie Hawn, especially your character in the books. Uh, and then again, I'm going to go with Omegon because like wow. complex, classy flavor, yeah. but a blonde ale. That's great. The Nomagon. Yeah, it's Man. it is the the Nomagon Blanc Ale. Yeah. Uh, it represents a Goldie Hawn. Man, so, a Goldie Blonde. Yeah, a Goldie Blonde. Man, look Get at that. that. And now we have the couple. Right now we have the, we've made a pair. We did with the movie. God, and then a pair within the movie. It's it a meta pair because she she starts as a complex, difficult, you know, fine dining woman, but she becomes a natural light. Jesus, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> American Film Institute. It's been a journey, I have to say. Like, All right, one last film, and it's sky high. I'll go ahead and start. I honestly don't remember what I said here. It was much earlier today. Oh, yeah. Sky high is a lot of fun. It's really easy. Um, it makes you feel awesome about literally everything. And so I thought, what kind of beer makes me feel awesome do I want to drink a lot of and is really playful because it's kind of the nature of sky high? It's Tallgrass Brewing's uh, Raspberry Jam. Uh, I went with Prairie Artisan Ales, Prairie Flair. <sighs> I almost did it. Criminally underrated. Uh, 
everyone should be drinking everywhere. The fact that you can get Blue Moon everywhere, but you can't get Flare everywhere is a crime. A literal crime. For which we will all have to answer in the history books. Yep. We will be judged <laughs> as monsters. Um, and uh, it's always fun to revisit, just like Sky High is always fun to watch. Oh, so it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Pray for Flare, hands down. Yep, yep. Uh, okay, on that note, we've got one beer left, and we're back to Drunk Enough. We'll be right back. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? Well, here we are in Drunk Enough, and I'll be trying a collaboration from Evil Twin, who has had some success on this show, mm-hmm. and Omnipolo, whose only showing to date was the Sploing, if I remember correctly. It sticks in the mind. It, it, we'll give it that. I do remember it, <laughs> um, which was also an IPA, amongst many other things, as is today's selection. It's the Pink Lemonade IPA, an India Pale Ale with lemon and raspberry Omnipolo added. keeping it real with weird combinations Holy i never thought shit. i wanted to I see just, i just opened it too and i can smell it like from this, there yeah. you're like way back from it yeah this beer you got like tough. a foot of clearance Whew. yeah that beer's working yeah <laughs> all right a lot going on in there he's gonna drink it no nope. he's not he he chickened out you must drink <laughs> drink the the can has a just a man on it it just has a picture of a man on it looking confused and honestly <laughs> yeah I can't think of a better way to sum up this beer. <laughs> um, it is. Um, I am left feeling as I was at the conclusion of Birdman. <laughs> Damn you! This beer has don't don't drag don't compare Birdman to whatever this is going to be. All right, it, you know what it is? It's perfectly fine. <laughs> it's a three. That's a single. Um, is it? Yeah. Like, honestly, Let me try this shit. it's a little overly sweet, but I think the sweetness helps undercut some of the, the IPA I want to drink bitterness. whatever this confused man represents. Yeah. Uh, it, is a, it is a terribly drinkable, okay beer. Yeah, I don't get any pink lemonade. That it just tastes like an IPA. It's just sugar in an IPA. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a sugary IPA. That's right. And honestly, I think sugar helps the IPA a little bit because yeah, we don't know how I feel about yeah, happiness. Yeah. Um, and so, Top Slam it is not, but no, it is still an IPA. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Um, I think it's a three. You yeah. know, Would you agree? Are you with me on this? Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm yeah. not sure why you'd pick it up if you, unless you were a big fan of pink lemonade, though. Right. Like, and there's almost no pink lemonade in it. So no. either you're a big fan of pink lemonade and you're going to be disappointed or you're a big fan of confused men? Yeah. It's, it's got a bit, bit And of you a, wanted to like, uh, what does a confused man taste it's got like? Got a bit of an aftertaste, like a lemonade aftertaste. Yeah, man. a little bit. I mean, there's yeah. but but just like some set some like some country some time lemon. it is not. No. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Uh, and if you're it's, if, a, it's like drinking an IPA that you you know that instant uh lemonade powder you pour, you, you Yes. Yeah. Or like there was a lemonade in the glass oh, yeah, yeah. Bef- mm. that you drank mm-hmm. and then you poured an but IPA it, in it. It was made it was the lemonade was the powder stuff and there's still some of the powder yeah. sticking to the side. Yeah. 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 Well, we solved that. Yeah. Um, I we probably don't even need to talk about drunk enough. We yeah, okay, we're done. We're out. out. All right. Yeah, terribly complex problem. <laughs> but seriously, though, we're in drunk enough, and we don't do this too often. But occasionally, uh, a really good ask mix six question comes along that really makes sense. Kind of like a in a, in a uh, more and robust. You got, you got to throw it in the drunk conversation enough, yeah. type. I mean, here we are. Adam L um, asked a really interesting question and something I thought would kind of be fun to dig through. Mm-hmm. Adam L asks, "What has been your experience working together on a professional project as friends?" Yeah. And I'm interested in in addressing this question for two reasons. One, because it 
it has been an, an interesting experience that I think is worth talking about, mm-hmm. and we're still in the throes of it. Yeah. And two, because I know that a lot of the people that um, listen to this podcast and interact with this podcast and are members of this community and communities we're members of also are creators. And, and doing their own thing. And, yeah. and creating with their friends. And so I'm, I'm also interested in other people's experiences, deeply interested in other people's experiences on this. I, I, I will say this, spoiler alert, I think that you and I have had an unnaturally easy and or good go at things. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're going to start it and then everything's going to go great and you're going to get a lot of trust in the person. You're yeah. going to see a lot of success. And then they're going to betray you and go to Taiwan for no less than six months. Yeah. Almost, just almost all of 2017 yes. and ruin your podcast. Yes, they will just ruin everything. He is literally texting on his phone and doesn't even realize we are talking. Doesn't about know it. that this whole bit has just, been about mocking God. Ross. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> he is just the worst. <sighs> should we just re-record this whole thing? <laughs> okay. All right, seriously, though. Um, so, yeah, um, um, Adam, we lucked out here. Yeah. We, we lucked out here, and um, something happened, uh, not unlike the Birdman, um, the the reason I chose the Birdman question, something had recently happened, which immediately allowed me to connect with that question. Um, so a little bit of background. I think that at this point, if you've listened to us for any amount of time, you, you know, this is true. You know, Caleb and I have known each other for 14 years now. Yeah. Um, and, but for, uh, you know, a couple year break in the middle there have been pretty close mm-hmm. for a lot of those years. Um, you know, this was an idea literally born out of a, uh, mother's brewing company beer fest. Uh, we, you know, we were sitting around kind of like talking, Caleb an idea to do. born of doing this without yeah. electricity, which is what we'd been and doing. We added electricity. And yeah. Here we are. And Caleb was looking for something. Um, it's more than just electricity. There's yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be nice if you were here to uh-huh. Whoa. facilitate that. Totally great. World traveler. <laughs> and so Caleb was looking to do, um, you know, something. Sorry, I can't hear you from Taiwan. Yeah. Well, we get it. <laughs> um, Caleb was looking to do something to do something that was a little less um, uh, RPG related, and he and I would spend you know countless hours all weekend sitting around talking about games, playing games, talking about shit, drinking, mm-hmm. whatever. Here we are, fourteen months later, um, somewhere in the middle there, uh, we talked about doing a game. Uh, you know, this was Party Foul was actually the second idea that you'd kind of pitched, and I got kind of into, and then we d- mm-hmm. you know got drunk one day and went down that rabbit hole, and now we have a board game. Yeah. Um, well. I say all this to let you know that um, what happened then, I think, is the thing that where where things get weird for people is that at some point the reason one the thing that you and I did as friends, which was sit around and drink beer and talk about random stuff and mm-hmm. video play video games yeah. together, um, at some point actually became kind of a job, and there was like kind of a not an intentional and not necessarily a bad shift, but suddenly game days were like, we should take pictures and post these things on the podcast yeah, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we should start a mixed six clan mm-hmm. so that we can talk with people and meet people. And, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't just about playing destiny more. It was also about like cultivating this community and meeting people who interact with us and getting to know them because you know, they're awesome. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago, you texted me uh, on a Friday and said, hey, do you just want to get a casual drink tonight? And I was like, what the, f- who the fuck is this 40-year-old woman parading this Caleb? Um, but then, like, we got together, and we got a beer, and, like, we didn't talk about Look, podcast. Look, I wasn't getting hits on Tinder, okay? No, I know, I know. We didn't talk about podcast stuff. We didn't talk about party foul stuff. We literally just, like, caught up about random things. Yeah. And I was shocked at the end of the night. I was like, God, that was really refreshing. Um, and it, and it, it worked out. It, Pickup artist, Kill Stokes. That's Everyone right. Knows. It totally did. Trust <laughs> me. Um, it made me realize that we'd gone almost, we'd gone a little over a year um, 
commoditizing the thing we did as friends. And it never felt weird until I did something differently. But it was really fucking good to do something differently, too. Yeah, so maybe that's some advice here. Yeah. Uh, make sure you're still doing friend stuff and not just project stuff. And, and, and I think more to that intentionally guardrail friend stuff. Yeah. A couple of times now over the last few weeks, you and I have gotten together with the express purpose of just like hanging out. A casual drink. That's wink. right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, just like getting to know one another, you know, <laughs> seeing where this is going. Yeah. Um, so I think that one of the, um, one of the things I would suggest, Adam, and I, you know, maybe you're asking this question because you're, you know, trying to kind of like work with some friends on things. Maybe you're just genuinely interested. Um, if you are trying to do that, I would suggest that you really safeguard some friend only time mm-hmm. um, because it, it, it can, and it did not in a bad way, but it did kind of consume. I could see it becoming a problem for sure. Yeah. Had we not, you know, drawn back on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I think generally we're too neurotic and introspective to let those things go on too long. Generally. But I don't think that is everyone. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it is a definitely concern is like, oh, yeah. And I've talked about before, like I do, I am in a position where I try to commoditize right all of my positive interactions because I have found that in my life, uh, attaching a dollar value to them is the only thing that protects them from other people. Yeah. Ruining them and destroying them so that I can never do them again. For sure. Uh, so by by doing that, I, I do sort of safeguard that time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't mean that has to be the only time you interact with your friend is on your podcast or nope. the only time you interact with your friend is making your game or, you know, writing your book or whatever you're doing with your friend. Yeah. 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 Oh, and... um. In particular, I think about um, time stories on New Year's Eve. So oh, yeah. we, we have had a, a New Year's Eve pattern for year, long before any of this started. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, me, Brandy, and Sarah getting together and playing board games on New Year's Eve, you yeah. know, until midnight or one in the morning or whatever. Keeping it casual. Keeping it super casual. And, you know, we didn't take pictures of time stories. We didn't post them on the Twitter. We didn't post the beers we were drinking. We just got together and played board games. And it was a blast. And yep. um, it was I think it was really good that we uh, openly kind of like identified this is what we are doing tonight. Yeah. And we set some guardrails around it. Here's another reason. Um, I think things have gone maybe abnormally well for us. And I say abnormally well because I have worked with friends on other projects and it doesn't necessarily go well. Mm-hmm. This is an outlier, which is why I think it's worth calling out. And we've yet to discover each other's many crimes and betrayals. Yeah, right. We're very good at something. I hide the shit yes. out of things. Yeah. I'm not great opsec here in, in Mix Six. Reverse detective. Mm-hmm. Um there is, for one reason or another, um two things I wanna I wanna call out here. Uh one is radical transparency. Uh, and the other is clarity and definition in roles, I think have also really helped. Yes. So radical transparency. Um I've never felt terribly uncomfortable telling you, um, hey, I don't like this idea, or hey, I want to do something differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think you have either. In fact, you're you're rather blunt about professional things, which makes it quite easy to work together. Um, and there's an expectation of that. You know what Perhaps I mean? Perhaps I'm even curt well, about them. Well, one might say, Russell? yeah, um, I'm not going to follow up on that pun. I really <laughs> want to, though. Awesome point, though. Um, I think that's been really good, and I think that it was established early and it was established often, yeah. which means, you know, eight months down the road, there wasn't some weird moment where suddenly one of us says something we've been wanting to say for eight months, mm-hmm. and it's like, where the fuck did that come from? You know what I mean? Generally, there's been some pretty radical transparency. Other thing, you and I have both agreed fairly early and talk about fairly often who's going to take care of what, and so not a lot of shit is up in the air. Yeah. And I typically find that in professional settings, productive settings maybe is the better way to think about that, 
it's when stuff is undefined and people start making assumptions about who is in charge of and accountable for what, don't and do that, that doesn't come to fruition. Yeah, don't do and that. I, and I think the problem with doing with working with friends is that because you have an organic relationship or organic communication, you assume those things will happen organically. Mm-hmm. You and I probably have like you know. 10 to 15 conversations a day that are just about who's going to take care of this, who's going to write Casey back, you yeah. know, who's going to figure out the cost of mixed six shirts or whatever. Yeah. And we just meet that stuff out and get it very clearly identified. We're thinking about mixed six shirts. Everybody calm down. We are it'll, thinking. It'll be incoming. Yeah. Just not yet. We saw Don't the surveys. Us, we're working on it. A lot of people asked for shirts. We have looked at prices. We are, in theory, close to ready to be to able to be do clear. This. I hope you all who back to Red Markets know what talking about me sending you physical rewards is doing to like my psyche, right. my anxiety, my ulcers. But I'm still considering for you out of my love for you. Yep. All right. So I wanted to take some moment and appreciate that. And don't at me. They're not ready yet. Right. All right. Now that that's covered. Anyway. It's going to take a lot, a lot to get us there. But we're at least we're at least working mm-hmm. through it, yeah. people. Every shirt will be personalized. And- God damn. Fuck you. <laughs> Go back to Taiwan. <laughs> um, so, so I do think that if you Hand are going crafting. to enter into a professional or productive relationship mm-hmm. with a friend, getting radical clarity around who is in charge of what and what the expectations are for success on those things yes. is really fucking important because I can look back at the development of Party Foul. I can look back at any of this, um, the Mix 6, and I can point to, well, yeah, but had we not talked about that in advance and just let something hope to happen well, shit could have gone really south um, and, and things could be very different. You know what I mean? I, have, I agree with everything you said. I have sort of an interrogative question here because yeah. I don't know where I land on it. Yeah. Um, does it help that we are at this point, and while I would certainly like to get here, but while we are at this point not dependent upon the podcast, so by that means yes. we're, we're using the money to make the podcast, and we do need the money to make the podcast, and the extra money for our time is yep. extremely appreciated, and it would be a very big detriment to me especially if yep. – uh, we didn't have that, but at the same time, I am not going to be out of house and home or like not supporting a wife yep. if uh, anything goes wrong with the podcast. I think that's a really, it, really good good observation because like capitalist ideology will fuck with your head a yep. lot and will make things that are generally not a big deal yep. a very big deal for a lot of people. So yep. like maybe not forever because obviously I, I would very much like this to be a full time job right. one day if it was ever possible. But perhaps start off at a lower stakes game. Yeah, there's low risk. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe a, begin this sort of professional foray in your friendship into an area that is not going to uh, destroy you all. Totally like, agree. Don't start off with loans and, and no. houses no. on the line and that kind of shit. Because like, even if it's not a big deal, the stress of that is constantly going to be threatening you to make something a big deal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, it makes complete sense. Uh, there... There's real low risk here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, and and not no risk. I mean, you know, yeah, not no risk. When you when you think in terms of time and and money spent, mm-hmm. uh, and, and money, you know, income that we generate from the podcast and that hopefully we'll generate from Party Fell, mm-hmm. you know, some real loss would happen if. Yeah. But it. But you're right. It's not the kind of like earth shattering, you know, life altering loss that would send us off on a path where I. I, it would be hard for me to not look back and blame you for some like pivotal crisis moment in my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like worst case scenario, we don't do a podcast together anymore. You're the reason I got scurvy that one time. Right. Exactly. Um, here's That's actually kind of impressive in this day and age to get scurvy. 
Yeah, well, for a land lover, I work pretty hard. I mean, <laughs> that's a pretty privileged position for a guy who doesn't have scurvy, Ross. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another thing that I might Ross say. apologizes. We're sorry, scurvy, All our scurvy, scurvy listeners. listeners. Um, here, here's another thing I might say. Uh, extrapolating from the the um, make time for friend things, make time for work things. Uh, and I've talked about this a lot, but typically I talk about it talk about it in terms of arguments. People have a really tough time separating argument from person. I think that as you work on professional products or projects with friends, you have to get really clear on what is a project-related thing and a friend-related thing. Not in terms of roles, but it's okay with me if you tell me you don't like my one of ideas about party, like one of my ideas about party foul. And I can say, Caleb did not like my idea about party foul. That is not Caleb judging me as a friend. Yeah. And that that can be really fucking difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, that is the the line that I toe on things. And so for me, it's not that big a deal. But as long as you never discover the burn book that producer Ross and I keep about Right, you, exactly. We'll be fine. Sarah and I have a pretty extensive back channel of all the things you actually <laughs> say about me. So I know. And I've got a list. And one day you're going to show up But I up don't for, say it to your face out of respect. One day you're going to show up for game day, and I'm going to have painted them all over my walls. It will be like your own Shutter Island moment, okay? You watch out, you son of a bitch. Um, so, Adam, to... All right, at that point, I'm just going to go on a permit. I'm just leaving. Yeah, you'll just need to leave. Because I want you to know something. Yeah. You're next on the list. You know what I mean? Like, if I ever invite both of you over for, like, a rando game night, and I'm like, no work, all fun... Get out of Why the country. Why are we going to this obscure mansion on a cliff? Yeah. Caleb, yeah. don't worry. I'll just bring soju. It'll save us. It's uh, like holy yeah. water yeah, for you. really just throw it. It yeah. is its own Molotov cocktail. Yeah. Yes, that is right. Um, so to answer the core of your question, Adam, um, I don't want to speak for Caleb. In my opinion, it's been great working together. Yeah, agreed. Um, there are a lot of reasons that I think are extrajudicial to friendship that one needs to legislate to make it great. Yes. I, I don't think that the natural power of having been friends is a, would have been enough just to get us through these types no of things. No relationship is good enough for you to rely on it alone to maintain the relationship. Right, yeah. I, yeah, there, there, there have to be some there rules There will be logistical concerns outside of it that you need to take care of. And constant communication. Yes. We talk all the fucking time about all this stuff. Thank God for group me. I cannot tell you the amount of group me messages, spreadsheets, shared Google Docs that Caleb and I have uh, about mixed six or party foul stuff. And then there's also a set of communication about friend things. Yeah. And those are very different. Yes. Um, importantly. So anyways, we're so happy to have been back. Um, as you know, we had to take all of 2017 off because producer Ross went on a sabbatical. Thank God it's over. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I'm, it's a I, cold year. Mm, I, for one, <laughs> won't want to question this historical revisionism. Uh-huh, sure. No, I, uh, I get that. You yeah. know what? Yeah, be here more. Um, uh, I have receipts, all right. Uh, one of the things that I was worried about since it's been so long since we did this is my ability to do an outro still. So, Ooh. So here we go. Loosen Way to up. not put pressure on yourself. Shake it out. Hey, you know, been, hey, to be clear, you know he's not going to edit if you fuck up. Oh, right? yeah, no, I know. It'll I get, stay I get there one crack at this, or I can do this multiple times on the same podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've got one shot at making this good, so... <clears throat> Hey, if you've been listening to whatever this was, it means that you're a backer of a certain level, and we appreciate you so, so much for doing that. It makes all of this possible, and we hope you understand, and we hope you hear us when we tell you over and over again that you are truly our favorite people, and we appreciate everything that you can do, either by way of providing us resources in the terms of money, or games, or olive oil, or wine, or beer, or just in providing us time to listen to what we do. We love you, and thank you so much. If you're not already following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mix 6. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Mix 6. 
We have a page and a group. Uh, you can also check out our website, www.themix6.com. And thanks to producer Ross, who's going to put up more snippets of adventure on YouTube soon. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find back episodes of snippets of adventure, which is coming back this month, people. Uh, and you can find a couple other videos, thanks to Maddie Gibbons, of us sounding like complete idiots on a variety of topics, including the mispronunciation of beers. And finally, as you now know, because other people have already sent us great things, you can send us stuff in the mails to The Mixed Six, 2131 West Republic Road, number 101 in Springfield, Missouri, area code 65807. We have absolutely loved seeing all of the stuff that you have sent us. Nick Hammonette, we are working on learning that game so that we can play it soon as part of our, uh, you know, kind of additional Simpets of Adventures campaigns or whatever. It's coming. Thanks again to everybody who sent us such cool shit. Kevin, we are taking that gift card to Bob Evans right now. We will buy a piece of lettuce probably with it, and we will think of you the entire time, we lady in the trampet. Thank you so much for everything you do and for listening to this entire episode. Once again, this has been The Mix 6. I'm Spencer. That was so good. Uh, thank I you. Couldn't I, even ste- I couldn't even step on it. I know. I'm God. like 99% sure you screwed something up. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm not going to edit it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Caleb. All right, we'll see you next time. <laughs>